The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit www.gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. We continue our denominational debrief series for 2019 today, looking at the 188th Synod of the Reformed Presbyterian Church in North America. And I have with me three of the four eminent hosts of the Jerusalem Chamber. Men, please introduce yourselves, announcing your name and the church that you pastor. I'm Kyle Borg from Winchester Reformed Presbyterian Church in Winchester, Kansas. I'm Sean Anderson from Kokomo, Indiana, pastoring Sycamore Reformed Presbyterian Church. And I'm Nathan Eshelman, pastor of the Los Angeles Reformed Presbyterian Church. Great. Thanks, guys. And we have missing today my good friend Joel Enoch Wood, who is pastor of the RP congregation in... Beltsville, Maryland. Last year, we uh, I did... A denominational debrief on the RPCNA with these guys and Joel included. And in that episode, we covered a lot of the kind of big picture things about the RPCNA, what sets that denomination apart from its uh, sister denominations in NAPARC and other Reformed and Presbyterian denominations around the world. So if you don't, if you're not familiar with the RPCNA, I commend you, listener, to go and listen to that episode. We're not going to cover the same ground this year. I want to dive right into the business for the 188th Synod. And let's start before the beginning of the Synod. I know that there was a pre-Synod conference this year. What was the content of that conference? And do you men consider it to have been a helpful thing to have go on? We met jointly this year, and we'll be talking about this a little more in a moment, but we met jointly with the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church and uh, concurrent synods, And our inner church committees, um, by the request from my understanding of the ARP, uh, asked that we do a seminar prior to the beginning of both of our synods, uh, a seminar focused on exclusive psalmody, uh, which is, of course, uh, one of our distinctives as the RPCNA. And so the way in which uh, that fell out is that the night before our our synods kicked off, uh, there were two, three-panel, or three-man panel uh, teams, basically, one representing the RPCNA, the other the ARP, um, and the RPCNA presented our position, why it is that we sing uh, exclusively from uh, the Book of Psalms, and then the ARP presented um, their position from their directory for public worship, and then what followed was just a quick 30-minute question and answer time. Um, And if you want my personal opinion, I thought that uh, the RPCNA was very well represented. Uh, Admittedly, there was some confusion on the ARP side as to what exactly the seminar was going to be. And so it wasn't maybe exactly what had been planned. Um, There was a the question and answer time I did not feel was the most productive use of 30 minutes, Uh, primarily because it was only 30 minutes long and you can only get into so many questions uh, in that amount of time. But also uh, the quality of the questions was not quite where personally I thought they were going to be. Yeah, I have I have nothing to add on the pre-synod conference because I was stuck in an airport uh, and was unable to to make it there. Uh, But. Sean probably has some thoughts on it as well. Oh, I thought it was uh, excellent uh, in a number of number of ways. I learned some things about the ARP Church. For example, uh, musical instruments came up. Uh, I think that's part of what Kyle means in terms of uh, difference in um, understanding. We didn't address it at all, <clears throat> but they they believe that musical instruments, that the playing of musical instruments itself is an act of worship, even if there's no. Uh, words or singing. So I thought that was interesting, uh, among other things. Yeah. Uh, But I thought uh, it was uh, a very charitable, good discussion. I'm glad. We had had uh, pre-assembly conferences at the PCA General Assembly on ministering to Muslims and also uh, on human sexuality, two issues that have been hot-button issues in our assembly. It's interesting to see that a hot-button issue in the ARP and RPCNA is whether or not to use instruments in worship. So uh, that might speak to the relative health of your of your denominations or the, the relative missional engagement with the surrounding culture. I don't know. Either way. Zach, let, 
Zach, let me make this clear. There's there's no issue with musical instruments. It's wrong, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I could say something that clear about our issues in the PCA, but unfortunately. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, anyway, this was a joint meeting with the ARP. Uh, Kyle pointed that out, and the pre-conference uh, or pre-synod conference really illustrates that. Could you tell us a little bit about that relationship with the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church? What are some of the things that your two uh, denominations hold in common? What are some of the differences other than exclusive versus inclusive psalmody and in the use of musical instruments? And then also, what uh, what stood out to you about having concurrent uh, synods or concurrent meetings, sharing in, in worship and, and, and workshops and the like. So the, the history of the relationship between the ARP and the RPCNA is a, is a long one. Um, your listeners may know that the RP in ARP is the Reformed Presbyterian. So the, the ARP is a merger denomination in 1782 between the Associate Presbyterians and the Reformed Presbyterians. And the RPCNA uh, is the group that did not go into that merger. So one of our historians in the 1800s said that uh, in an attempt to make two denominations one, we made three. And that's what uh, that's what what happens often. That's what happens with any attempt to unify churches. But so our relationship goes way back to the beginnings in the 1780s. And um, this is the second time that we've had a concurring synod with the ARP. The first time we came down to Bon Clarken four years ago and uh, received Southern hospitality at one of the most beautiful church camp locations that I can think of. Bon Clarken is fantastic. And this time we invited them up to Geneva College to uh, experience um, what the RPCNA has to offer. So they were you know stayed near Geneva campus and were also able to visit the Reform Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Um, I think that relationship has been developing well over the past decade. A lot of uh, discussion and a lot of attempt to uh, really build brotherly relationships. There's no official talk of merger or anything like that, but just getting to know each other again and and seeing the things that we do share in common. Now. In uh, a 200-year history, there's a lot of cultural differences that have that have developed as well because the RPCNA is primarily a northern denomination and the ARP is primarily a southern denomination. So there's some of those cultural differences as well. But um, I think that across the board, if you talk to RP men and many ARP men as well, that uh, we would say that we have a, a good relationship and we're happy with the way that, that things are developing uh, between the two uh, denominations. One thing that did stand out, in in my opinion, in the discussions, and this came up a little bit in some of the preaching as well, is that the the political questions still divide us as well. You know, the RPCNA has a long history of political dissent, and um, even now the, our, our um, testimony says that you know, we should vote for a Christian magistrate and those sorts of things, or those that understand biblical um, principles of church of uh, state government. And the ARP is just—it's not there. It's um, you know more in line with with other Napark churches in that regard. So that's something I think that divides us, as well as the issues of um, application of the regulative principle. One of the things that stood out to me, I appreciate Nathan's. Uh, Outline there, but uh, Nathan and I were standing in line for barbecue one afternoon and we met the moderator of the ARP and he rebuked Nathan for sin. And that's really what stood out the most to me. Yeah, he did. He did. I I was joking and I said, you know, one of the one of the brothers from the, the ARP, I haven't I haven't really seen him this week. I don't think he's actually here. And I was just joking around doing my thing. You know, that's my shtick. And uh, he said something to the effect of, well, I don't I don't know how to respond to my brother's sin, but I do know how to respond to yours. And he gave me a, a nice admonishment in line of, of course, you know, we I don't know if uh, if a northern church should ever be offering barbecue to a southern church to begin with. Maybe he was just irritable about that. Can you define <laughs> barbecue? Like, <laughs> yeah, like are you talking hot dogs and hamburgers or <laughs> no, are you talking oh, about on. shredded no. pork? And, yeah, this, uh, was, this was an attempt at shredded pork and, uh, you know. 
Well, at least y'all calling it the right thing. What's most interesting is Nate's rendition of the accent of a man from Ireland. So, well, welcome, Joel. By the way, we also had we also had joint workshops with the with the ARP, and that was uh, boards and agencies of the church. Uh, gave workshops together. So our, the two seminaries gave a workshop together. The two uh, foreign mission boards gave workshops together. The home mission board gave workshops together, and and we went through uh, uh, we went through those things. So I'm the president of our home mission board. So I gave a I had to give three workshops with the Outreach North America um, brother Mike and on how we do church planting within each of our denominations. So I wasn't able to attend any of the other ones because I was giving the home mission board one, but I heard a lot of good feedback about those as well. What were some of the emphases or, or issues highlighted in the seminary workshop? Since this is a seminary podcast, I'd be interested to hear if any of you men attended that one, uh, what exactly they talked about. I attended a portion. I'm chair of the Business Ascended Committee, so I get a little distracted sometimes uh, trying to get to the business of the Synod. Uh, there was an elaborate history given of Erskine Seminary, uh, which was originally Clark Erskine Seminary, if I believe, and uh, and just showing uh, the, the connection there. So we, we heard a little bit more of the history of some of the the founding, um, and then in our seminary, uh, you know, we've, we're a year into presidential transition with Dr. York, and uh, the one of the things we're uh, reeling is probably an overstatement, but what just continues to take us by surprise is the international flavor of the student body uh, that RPTS has now after you know decades of. Uh, training RP ministers and then really serving as the local biblical seminary in Pittsburgh. Um, so you would have uh, some other groups there as well. Um, but, you know, the updates were were good. Nothing really stood out as far as uh, this is now, you know, how we'll be operating or any major changes. I think one of the things that came out of this meeting uh, is a thought of being more intentional of having concurrent meetings moving forward amongst our boards and agencies. Maybe that was mentioned uh, previously. Uh, I'm chair of vital churches. You know, when we would meet, invite, you know, could we meet when the the vital uh, ministries component of the ARP is meeting and, um, you know, seek to learn from each other and grow from each other you know what what if you know the church planting arm of outreach north america and and our home mission board meet concurrently so i think uh one of the ideas i heard as well um was the idea of visiting professors uh back and forth between uh, rpts and erskine so i think we might see some more real practical you know we're not you know we're not looking at merger um you know, I think after our first concurrent synod, um, you know, we kind of, you know, got excited because somebody might like us and want to sit by us. Um, but I, I think we're in a much more realistic state now of, of look, there is, yes, there's a lot that we don't agree on, but there is a lot that we do agree on and would could approach similarly. I think they, they've been particularly struck uh, with uh, some of our church planting efforts and how we go about that. Um, and so I think we'll see some more really grassroots, you know, rubber meets the road interaction uh, that flows from the second concurrent synod. Tell me about the worship services. My understanding is one of our graduates, Dr. Gabe Floor, delivered an especially powerful sermon uh, during the synod. Uh, what uh, what else about the worship services stuck out to you men? I think one thing that shows the gracious spirit of our brothers in the ARP is when they first started approaching us about doing these concurrent synods, they made clear in the initial invitation that was eight years ago, seven years ago, I think, uh, when this first came up on the on the drawing board, was uh, we will sing a cappella psalmody in our joint worship services, and they they from the get go laid aside 
uh, their particulars to take up ours so that we would be at a comfortable place uh, to worship with them. And that's something I think has really driven us forward in desiring to meet with them uh, is knowing that that issue is is kind of off the table on something that that could be uh, made a, an issue of uh, while we're together. And so the singing is fantastic. Um, you know, it, it's we we enjoy singing together as a synod. I think we actually sound good too. Um, but then when you add you know a couple hundred more voices, it's uh, all the better. You know, we had uh, we had Disney soundtracks playing during our worship services at PCA General Assembly. I'm not kidding. I I, I think they actually lifted a, a Disney song from some movie and used it in a worship service. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in all seriousness, though, um, when I've visited the ARP Synod in Bon Clarkin, because it's only about 40 minutes from my house, 45 minutes, so there's really no excuse for me to to miss it when it's so close. Um, The the singing and the worship is actually edifying. You know, I have some significant differences with some aspects of polity in the ARP, but when I worship with those brothers, it really does bless my soul. And I'm glad again that one of our graduates and a good friend of mine, Dr. Gabe Floor, um, was invited to preach before the, the, the two bodies and, um, and represented us well in that capacity. He real real quick on that. He sure did. Um, he preached. He preached a phenomenal sermon. And you know, as a pastor going to synod, I mean, the week is already draining. Uh, but when you when you're accustomed to preaching two Lord's days uh, every week, uh, or two excuse me, two sermons every Lord's day, um, it, it's wonderful to be able to go to synod and be ministered to. Um, and to really be able to sit under and appreciate uh, the preaching of the word, um, and and he, he he gave a stellar sermon. Yeah, it was fantastic. And our own Sean Anderson represented very well. Also, um, I think for me, those were the two best sermons of the of the. I Senate. agree. Sean Sean's sermon was really good as well. Sean, what do you think of your sermon? Uh, the Lord help. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, brother. Well, and we, we had a we had a unique moment for us. The ARP finished before we did, and so we were going to have we, we were scheduled to be there Friday. And Lucas Hanna, uh, who's one of our ministers in Beaver Falls, and also uh, has been the the lead teaching elder over in South Sudan. He'll go over a few times a year for five weeks at a time to continue training ministers over there. Uh, he was slated to preach Friday morning, and Thursday night we all realized if we push through, we could get our our business done tonight. And yet we hit a lull. Uh, we had taken a vote; votes were being tallied. So we're kind of filling the time, and uh, so I went over to Lucas and said, uh, "I said, are you ready to preach tomorrow?" And he said, "Well, yeah, but I'm not going to." I said, "Are you ready to preach tonight?" And he said, uh, I can be. I said, how long's your sermon? He said, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, because he says, I've never preached this one before. I said, can you do it in 20? And he said, well, I'll, I'll just get up and preach it. And we talked about it this week. We're at family camp together. And, and I told him, I said, you had a matter-of-factness in your tone preaching that night because things that some issues had kind of reached what for the RPs is a is a fevered pitch I know it's different in other uh, synods and deliberative bodies but for us there were some emotions running high and and Lucas stepped into the pulpit and that would be I think the third most powerful sermon in the in the synod for me was uh, just really helped close out the synod well normally we don't close with with preaching we're usually just driving the horses to the cliff to get the business done, and then everybody just kind of disperses in a few moments to get to the airport. Um, and it was a really different take for me anyway, uh, basically closing synod with preaching um, and in a way that, that really exalted the Lord. Tell me very briefly, one of you, not all four of you, one of you tell me who was elected moderator this year and um, was it significant and why? Andy McCracken from the from the Great Lakes Gulf Presbytery. Part of the work of Business of Synod is helping to identify potential moderators. And so a year ago, uh, 
we uh, it, it came the 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 business of Senate committee had selected someone that we thought would make a good moderator for all of the uh, the particular legal issues that were before us uh, in the court. And then it, word came that another man uh, was kind of the favored guy from some of the men in the court. And so I, uh, we didn't take, um, you know, we didn't have any issue with that. Um, and so we put it before the Senate. And for the first time, I think in living memory for a lot of guys, we actually had a runoff for moderator um, a year ago. And that second man was Andy McCracken, and he was selected uh, without any uh, competition this year. Um, he's our minister in Columbus, Indiana, and soon to be uh, a, a minister over in Australia, going over to help our churches over there. Last year, um, following up from last year again, uh, you all told me that there were two men who appealed to Synod regarding their position on women elders, and this, this got quite difficult in the court last year. How did that play out in the year between the synods, and did you have to revisit that issue this year? Well, uh, real quick, just for clarity, uh, to use the nuanced definitions of Presbyterianism, um, one of those men appealed a judicial censure uh, that was administered against him uh, for a a position on women elders, and another man um, filed a complaint. And so he was never under censure. He never judicial process wasn't instituted against him, but a presbytery had told him this is unacceptable and something needs to happen. And he complained. Uh, he filed a complaint against that decision. Uh, it, again, go back and listen to last year's uh, confessing our hope. But um, in in the year that followed, uh, both of those men. Uh, left the RPCNA and had their credentials uh, transferred over to the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. All right, moving on. Great Lakes Gulf Presbytery submitted a communication on, quote, acts of previous synods, end quote, and whether they should be the law and order of the church. What was that and how did it turn out? Just so people can understand a little bit of the ecclesiology of the RPCNA, this was our 188th synod. Um, And our directory for church government says that the previous actions of synod are part of the law and the order of the church. Uh, We distinguish the law and the order. I think we distinguish. Uh, Somebody really showed us how inconsistent we are. But uh, technically speaking, we would distinguish between fundamental law, which is the Westminster Standards plus the Reformed Presbyterian Testimony, and the law and the order of the church. As office bearers, uh, we do take ordination vows to respect both of those. Uh, Our ordination query number four is if we agree with the system of doctrine set forth in the fundamental law, and our ordination query number nine really emphasizes uh, the law and the order of the church. And so you can imagine that for 188 years, our synod has been making decisions, and those decisions are part of the law and the order of the church. Uh, And the Great Lakes Gulf Presbytery uh, brought forth a paper saying, you know, we really need to excise that statement from our directory for church government. If we want things to be part of the law and the order of the church, let's go through the difficult task of changing and amending our constitution rather than just saying, well, a simple majority vote on the floor of synod now constitutes the law and the order of the church. Uh, It's a bit of a sticky situation because in 188 years of synodical decisions, uh, there have been 5,000 actions of synod, uh, actually more than 5,000. And granted, many of those are probably completely irrelevant to where we find ourselves today, just certain financial decisions or things like that. Some of those decisions probably don't fit very well with the culture of the RPCNA today. Uh, In 1909, our synod ruled that every pastor and elder needs to instruct uh, their members that they ought not to observe Christmas or Easter in public or in private. Yay! And so that's an official action of our synod, which is technically still a part of the law and the order of the church. Um, but probably does not fit, despite Sean's cheering in the background, uh, where the broader culture of the RPCNA is today. But then there, there are some, <laughs> there are some actions of synod that are very detrimental. You just think back a couple of years to our position on sexual orientation, um, the work that's been done on that, and so there was a lot of discussion: should we excise the statement "actions of synod" uh, being part of the law and the order of the church? Should we keep it? What's the best? What's the wisest way to work through it? I get intimidated thinking about you know 
the prospect of learning Chinese with 10,000 characters. I can't imagine learning RP with 5,000 <laughs> judicial decisions and acts of synod to, uh, to commit myself to. Um, so you all have a study committee that's going to work on this and then report back to next year's synod. Is that the plan? Yep. Great. Um, let's see here. Looking at what went on, Atlantic Presbytery had two communications um, geared towards establishing greater degrees of accountability within the boards of the church. I can appreciate this. We were dealing with some issues, boards of the church in my own denomination. The first uh, communication had to do with minutes of boards to be reviewed by synod. And then the second communication was that wages of employees of boards need to be recorded in the minutes of synod. Can you tell me uh, any background as to what was behind these communications and where the synod landed on uh, on rendering a decision? Well, the, the discussion that I had with some of the men from Atlantic Presbytery uh, has to do with the the need for greater accountability, not because there's anything officially against any of our boards or agencies. Sort of like in a time of peace, it's best to set up uh, the rules for when you're not in a time of peace. And um, since there is a good relationship now between all of our boards or the majority of our boards in the synod, the um, having these sorts of actions put in place now uh, is easier than if there was a there was a time of difficulty or a distrust of a certain board or agency and then trying to get to get these things in place. So the the review of the minutes, um, I think in the PCA, you call it the um, review the of presbytery, presbytery records. records. Yeah. Right. So we do we do a, a review of the presbytery books as well, and the assistant clerk is the one that is in charge of overseeing all of that. Um, but that's done now. So now, starting next year, the the minutes of the boards of the church will also be reviewed. Now there was some discussion about you know whether um, whether more private matters, you know, like if a the seminary board, for example, is discussing a list of five men who are potential candidates for a professorship, uh, you know, do they want those four that they're not putting forward in the in the minutes? Well, you know, we we all know that you can go into executive committee and then those records are are separated. It's just the action that that's recorded. So some of that may take a little bit of changing the culture of the way minutes are recorded within boards and agencies. But I think for that one, um, you know, that's a that's a, a good decision. And then concerning the the um, employee wages, this was actually sent back to the Atlantic Presbytery because it was written too generally. Um, you know, I don't I don't really care what the gardener at Geneva College makes. And I don't really care. I believe what it's called a botanist. This, <laughs> and, and I don't care what. No, we we can only afford gardeners. So we can't afford botanists. And then uh, this ain't the PCA, Zach. <laughs> and then uh, the same with the seminary. You know, there's a number of staff members and things, or shipping clerks with our denominational uh, um, uh, publication arm, Crown and Covenant. We don't necessarily really want to see those, but. All of the pastor's wages are um, recorded in the minutes of synod. You can go to an appendix and see what every every minister makes, and they're saying that 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 would be good to have for the you know professors and uh, the the people that are in charge of boards that get paid and those sorts of things as well. I think that that's a, a crucial aspect of oversight or crucial function of oversight by the courts of the church. I remember not in my current presbytery, but in my previous presbytery outside of Philadelphia, there was a seminary professor coming in uh, for transfer of ordination and a good man. And when it got to the point of reviewing his call on the floor of presbytery, they, uh, I noticed that the, that the institution that was issuing the call and that the presbytery, which was recognizing it as a call out of bounds, withheld details of compensation um, because you know, they're not the church. They're an independent seminary and they didn't need to do that. And I was struck and I thought, you know, if I was, if I was a minister of the gospel and uh, even if I was serving as a seminary professor full time, that was my call. I would want my brothers in presbytery to review the terms of my call and to give me any wisdom that they have on that and to, to be guardians 
of, of, you know, my livelihood, my well-being, insofar as they're called to be that uh, by the church. And so it's, it's, you know, I think it's important, especially when there is a formal denominational association or tie-in here, as in, as with your seminary and college and things, that you all exercise that oversight on behalf of the people who are being employed by those, uh, by those organizations. All right. So a teaching elder in Midwest Presbytery appealed an, an-, an admonishment for teaching, uh, I think, in a blog, right, that the current RP practice of communion is sin, and the current practice is allowing a mixed plate of grape juice or wine. What did the synod do with this appeal? And, um, and before we get there, maybe define very briefly for our listeners what an admonishment is within the RPCNA. An admonishment is the lowest uh, form of censure. Um, I understand that it's a censure of the courts, and so I don't want to treat it lightly, but it's, it's kind of a slap on the wrist. It's saying, you know, we see you going in a direction uh, that is not becoming of a Christian. And so we are admonishing you that you need to steer clear of, of this sin and you need to get back on track. And so, again, not to treat that lightly, it is a judicial censure, but it is it is the lightest one. Um, and as a member of the Midwest Presbytery, uh, this, this man was admonished by his local session uh, because uh, he had a website where he was advocating that uh, the Lord's Supper should only be observed with wine and that to allow grape juice was a sinful practice. Uh, but of course, in the RPCNA, our synod, uh, in determining that case of conscience, has said that grape juice does not violate the regulative principle of worship as it is still the fruit of the vine. And so he had been asked by his local session to please take the statement down. Uh, he did not. They admonished him. He appealed to our presbytery last fall. Last fall, our presbytery unanimously did not sustain his appeal, uh, and then his appeal was raised, uh, therefore, to the synod. So he appealed to the synod. It's not just that it automatically gets raised, but he actively chose to bring it all the way up to the synod. Right. Yes. Yep. Okay. And then, and the synod, um, you know, upheld the admonishment just as the lower courts did. Yeah, upheld, basically refused to hear it. And so uh, we can, given proper grounds, uh, our Constitution does allow us to say we're not going to hear this appeal. And I think, I forget exactly what the, the grounds that were given, but it, it was just, to, to, to the Senate, it was pretty clear, no, what, what you've done here is, is not acceptable, and we're not even going to hear your appeal. We're just, we're going to let the decision of the lower court stand. Got it. And has he since pulled down the blog post? He has. He, he has changed his wording, uh, much to his credit. So, all right, good. I, I was a little, I was a little torn on, on what to do with this. And in one sense, it's like if you would spank one of your children and then that child goes to the elders and says, I, I was spanked. And then the elders say you had a right to be spanked. And then your child appeals that to presbytery and then appeals that to synod, you know, legitimately you can do that but you know you on the other hand you want to just be like listen man you were spanked take your spanking and 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 deal with it um but on the other side of it as well the the admonishment in my opinion you know this isn't the official rpcna position this is my opinion was that it was very poorly written they said that he was speaking against the standards of the church where the standards of the church actually only use the word wine in any of the standards. So he was actually teaching the standards of the church. Yep. But you go back to that law and order of the church discussion that, that we had with Kyle earlier. He was teaching against the law and order of the church, but not against the standards of the church. So part of me wanted to throw it out, uh, throw out the admonishment because of the way it was written. It was not written right. And in legal court documents, we need to be precise with the things that we say we need to be clear we need perspicuity when we uh are clear in in our uh church documents i i agree with so much of that um nathan what you're saying there i i think especially when we're administering discipline we we need that perspicuity um it it, yeah. it just has to be there at the same time you know uh now our synod has heard uh two or had multiple appeals brought before us in the last several years 
I, I think it's important to remember that, you know, when, when you go to adjudicate an appeal, you only do so on the grounds that the appellant himself brings forward. Uh, there's always the sneaking temptation to say, well, here's how you should have appealed. Um, and, right. and therefore, I would sustain it if you appeal that way. Um, and, and that's part of the the difficulty maybe of Presbyterianism is, yes, you need to be precise at the same time as you adjudicate appeals, you do so on the basis of what the appellant says. Um, and and I, I felt, too, I didn't have much of a vote in, in it because um, I'm a Midwest Presbyterian and there was an appeal against our Presbytery. I also felt a little torn. Should we hear it? Should we not? Presbyterianism exists to hear the voice of the minority. Uh, the minority yep. should always be, in my opinion, permitted uh, the broadest hearing that can be given to them. Um, and so I felt a little torn. You know, do we send it back or should we go through the difficult work of of hearing this appeal? And, and a couple of men wrote dissents against the decision of the Synod as well um, concerning that. We remember that in the RPCNA, we have a 100-year history of temperance and participation in the temperance movement. So you have a cultural historical conundrum that needs to be unraveled as well when we when we talk about um, what the the content of the cup is in RP churches. It can become very passionate. I mean, pa- you know, very passionate. And and that's that's not unique to the RP. I mean, you have that that 100-year tie into the temperance movement formally for sure, or maybe very broadly within the denomination. But I think all of our Reformed communions, conservative Reformed and evangelical churches, uh, have had at least strong informal connections to the prohibitionist movement and the temperance movement, however you want to put it. And so we all deal with that at the local level. Zach, in living memory of the RPCNA, so some of our elders that are now in their uh, 70s, Uh, remember their Sabbath school lessons as children signing commitment cards to the Women's Christian Temperance Union. So it was not an informal relationship in the RPCNA. It was part of our Christian education. And and ordination and membership vows. So, yeah. 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 I don't know if it ever went that far in the in the mainline Presbyterian church, in the PCUSA in the 1800s, or the PCUS in the 1900s. The, the PCUSA did vote in favor of the, of the temperance movement because Machen's story is connected with yeah. that, you know, because he was opposed to it, and that caused a bad relationship with Princeton at the yep. time. Yep. Very good. Well, thank you, man. I guess there's always more to be said. We never call the question. <laughs> the next topic for discussion, Speaking I actually want to involve Sean. Sean's internet connection, for those of you who are listening, isn't particularly strong, and so he hasn't been chiming in as as usual. But, um, but he served on a committee uh, that dealt with an issue on the mediatorial kingship of Christ. And this is something we've spoken about on our RPCNA denominational debrief for the last couple of years. The first one that I had uh, Kyle on here solo two years ago, and then last year with all the guys. But the mediatorial kingship of Christ committee report requested the adopting of a booklet on voting. Uh, Sean, can you tell us a little bit about the background of that committee and what was done with the booklet? Sure. Uh, this committee was <clears throat> asked to be formed by the Synod uh, <clears throat> right after <clears throat> the uh, uh, the 2016 election. And uh, there's a big discussion about uh, uh, whether ministers ought to be encouraging uh, or endorsing uh, the membership to vote for a Mormon. And... Um, and so uh, that was an interesting discussion, and, and they said we need to we need to have a committee um, uh, tell us the the applications of the mediatorial kingship of Christ in the 21st century. And so uh, this committee has was formed back then. We've been working for years on a number of things. Um, what we decided to do then was to put forward a a voting guide for our membership um, that would. Uh, essentially try to articulate uh, the the theology and the philosophy behind uh, these um, propositional statements in our testimony um, and so we brought it before the floor and what was interest one of the things that was interesting and, and we thought this might happen with some is that uh, there was a sense in which 
uh, the, some people felt we weren't really representing all of the different positions uh, at the uh, in the denomination. That it was a very narrow interpretation of our standards, and was essentially saying, um, you know, the qualifications for a any political candidate is that they, at root, they must be Christians, they must be God fearers, and uh, and they might you know they must have membership in local churches, and um, and then secondly they. Um, they need to be able to uphold biblical principles of civil government. That's the catchphrase of our testimony. So um, while the um, some men came forward and said, this booklet is very helpful. Other, others came forward and said, um, this booklet is too narrow. And really what we'd like to see is the doctrine before the application. And I'll just tell you, our committee was very happy to hear that because the remit was that we are to give the application for the 21st century. So now the Synod is directing us saying, we really want doctrine. And we said, this is wonderful. So we intend to uh, next year, Lord willing, uh, provide a booklet on the doctrine. Uh, this booklet on voting, it was, it's a guide. It was received by uh, the church, which just simply means that uh, it's, they, you know, they, it's been handed to them. It means they didn't burn and, it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's been handed to them, and now they have it. Uh, but also what's interesting is that the next um, recommendation was that it would be published and and um, given to the church by our publishing board, Crown and Covenant, and uh, our yeah, publishing arm, and um, that passed. And so um, some thought it was going to die, like it was not going to happen because it, it really wasn't. Uh, more than received, it wasn't adopted, it wasn't approved, uh, but it passed. So now we have something to to hand to our members, and 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 we'll see where it goes from there. That's an encouraging update. I'm sure that'll be a valuable resource to the broader church. There have been a number of changes at RPTS, the denominational seminary. Um, we talked about Dr. York coming in last year. We also talked about last year uh, Dr. Scipione retiring and getting a new. Uh, biblical counseling professor. Uh, you have at least one other faculty change in the New Testament department that um, that happened this year. Can you tell me a little bit about that and anything else that might be in store for RPTS in the near future? So Jeff Stuyvesant, Dr. Jeff Stuyvesant is the, the new New Testament professor, and uh, Dr. Stuyvesant has a, has a pretty well-rounded history. He's planted a church um, he's uh, he's a pastor of a local congregation in Pittsburgh, a, a really uh, good size RP church that is is healthy. Um, he he's an adjunct professor already at at RPTS. Uh, his PhD is in BB Warfield's New Testament. Um, uh, uh, is that right? New Testament or is it his? Uh, Concursus. Doctrine of inspiration. inspiration. Yeah, okay. So Warfield on, on inspiration. Um, so Jeff Stuyvesant is going to be a great addition to to RPTS, and he is replacing an adjunct who is from the PCA, Jack Kinnear, who you may know. So he's retiring, and Stuyvesant will be taking his place. We also have our librarian of 25 years, Tom Reed, He's retiring, and um, a young man named Jordan Fegley is finishing up his. Uh, it used to be called Master of Library Science. Now it's called like Master of Information Technologies uh, degree. You know, I like the old name better. But um, uh, he'll be coming in to to RPTS, and then of course with with uh, Doctor um, York finishing his his first year on, you know, just, there's been a lot of changes. Um, I think that the, the quality of men that are coming on is very good, you know, with, uh, with Barry York, he's very talented and with, uh, with Jeff Stuyvesant as well. I mean, losing David, Whitla. Yeah, 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 that's the other one, Dr. David Whitla, uh, coming in as a church history professor as well. And he just finished up his, um, PhD on Covenanter history in 
um, Ireland. What's the name of the Queens. seminary, guys? Do you remember? It's yeah, that's Queens right. University. Queens in Belfast. Yeah, Queens University. And, and not only, I, I think we're getting guys with good credentials, but it, it is nice. We're very thankful uh, for those who have, in a sense, been loaned from other denominations to our presbytery. Uh, but it is really good to have RP men. Um, and I think one of the strengths, Jeff Stuyvesant, for instance, is going to remain a pastor uh, in his congregation, even while he takes on the professorship of, of, of New Testament studies, which I think is good because RPTS wants, you know, one of our little mottos is uh, to study under pastors. Um, and so he's a great addition. But it, it is nice that uh, men within our own denomination are using the skills and the talents that the Lord has given them and, and now coming to the seminary. All good stuff. And... Um yeah, there's going to be some changes at Greenville Seminary in the near future, too. Yeah. And so I can sympathize with uh, our Covenanter brethren in Pittsburgh as they go through a lot of just all the ins and outs and rigmarole of uh, navigating uh, faculty and administration transitions, and particularly presidential transitions. Hey, guys, tell me a little bit about recent news in the church planting in the RPCNA, both domestically and globally, and um, and anything with church revitalization. Try to hit high points for me. Don't get bogged down in too, too many details, but um, give us a little update on the health of the denomination. Well, with... Uh with home missions, which I'm which I'm involved in, we have we have several um, several church plants. Uh, they're not all being supported by the denomination, but church planting happens through the presbytery. So uh, several presbyteries are church planting as well. We probably have maybe ten or so church plants right now um, going on. We have a some some more movement in texas we historically were not in texas until a couple of years ago and now we have three works in in texas uh we're doing some uh church planting was sending two men onto one field rather than one man onto one field so that's something we're we're trying for the first time sending a pastor and an associate pastor into a church plant we're doing that in harrisonburg virginia um we uh, we do what's called a resident and training program where a church planter who has a, a good track record will bring an associate on to help him to be trained for further training in church planting and then uh, go off to plant a church. So that's been a really good thing. Um, one thing that uh, we have um, that's um, from from 1995 uh, we proposed what was called the eight more by 2000, and we wanted to have eight more congregations by 2000. And um, and then after that, in uh, in 2005, we adopted what was called the 2020 vision, which was to have 100 congregations by the year 2020. So uh, we are now at 104 congregations in mission work. So we've surpassed that. And um, in in uh, 1995, when we first started moving uh, more heavily towards goals in that in that sense, we had 72 congregations. So from from 1995 to 2019, we've grown from 72 to 104, primarily from from church planting. So that's a 35% increase just in congregations. It's not a numerical 35% increase, but it's a it's a meaning members, but it's a increase in congregations by, by 35%. So that's something that is uh, something we're really excited about in the RP church, a lot of church planning activity going on. Um, I don't know if one of the other brothers wants to talk about global missions. Yeah, in the Great Lakes Gulf Presbytery, we saw um, Zach Smith pass his exams and so now uh, he received a call from global missions to go on the mission field in south sudan as a, a full-time uh, missionary pastor so uh, that's encouraging yeah and and there's there's other church planting globally that goes on as well sean mentioned south sudan there's a presbytery that was planted there uh several years ago and um we have works in uh in parts of Asia that they don't really like us to talk about, but really big groups of, of church planting going on there. Uh, other places um, in Southeast Asia as well, countries that aren't always happy to have uh, um, 
Western money come in, so we don't really talk a whole lot about it. But there's good good church planting going on in parts of the world that are that are a little bit dangerous for church planting. And then we have a committee that's called CASA, that's Central and South America, and they're doing work with connecting with existing churches as well as planting in uh, Central and South America. And there's a lot of movement in there. Uh, I mean, I know that PCA uh, has work in South America as well, I believe. And there's just a lot of movement towards the Reformed faith right now in Central and South America. So we're we're doing that that work as well. So for such a small denomination, there's there's missionaries and those that are working in in many parts of the world. Despite who we are, God still uses us. Yeah. Amen. Brothers, to close up our conversation, I want each of you to share with me in as brief a manner as possible. And parsimony here is of the essence. What was your favorite part of Synod this year? Going home. No, that's uh, that's not the right answer. Um, I, you know, I, I was appreciative that uh, our denominations college, Geneva College, opened their campus to us and to our ARP brothers. And uh, while the accommodations might not be what they have been for us when we meet elsewhere, uh, Geneva really bent over backwards to make it a very good place for us to be able to do our meetings. And I, I really appreciate that. I am always encouraged by uh, Home and Global Missions. They're, they are the highlight reports for me. Um, I I think that the uh, maybe a, a combination of things. I, I loved a couple of the sermons that we heard. Uh, things that I'm still thinking about even weeks later that always that doesn't always happen when when you hear when you hear preaching um, but I always uh, I always appreciate the time that I get to spend with brothers from other presbyteries as well you know that time of fellowship I um, I like to say that we in the RPCNA we like each other and we trust each other Sean says we want to trust each other but I say we do trust each other and uh so I, I love I love the fellowship component as well. I'm um, I'm much more comfortable at Presbytery than I am at Synod, uh, but I do enjoy the fellowship aspect. That's something unique this year that we've tried not to do in the past is the four of us sat together at a singular table that had only four seats. <laughs> so uh, those around us on the floor of Synod enjoy seeing when we vote against each other. Which is often. <laughs> and uh, what issues we like to fight about. Yeah, we do vote against each other. Which is, actually, which is actually quite often. Um, but uh, I think for me, a uh, member of my congregation, dear friend Edgar Ibarra, is... is uh, uh, as a, a seminarian, he's under care, but he serves on the CASA committee. As he and his wife have done the lion's share of outreach to Central and South America, that's helped establish a lot of these relationships. And uh, uh, seeing him report on the floor of Synod, uh, actually, I, I think received a standing ovation for the work that that committee is doing. Um, and they've seen, uh, you know, uh, pastor come in in Chile and he's planting two congregations uh, a couple of years ago they helped to establish the Reformed Presbyterian Church in Bolivia and just to see the Lord working in my brother and friend and uh, the synod's response to that uh, has been very encouraging for me. Guys, my favorite part of the RPCNA synod this year was debriefing <laughs> it with Yay. you guys. That's Yay. great. That's great. So, <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, I wish that I had been able to go. I, I had it on my calendar, but it, it was, A, very close to my son's birthday. In fact, overlapped with my son's birthday one one day. And B, um, you know, I was planning on uh, going to other places in the month of June. So I had to scratch that 10-hour drive from my my trip list. But hopefully I will be able to enjoy fellowship with you all at an RPCNA Synod in the future and uh, get to see for myself what all the hype is about. <laughs> be, be honest, Zach. You left your house and drove by Henry's and turned in, and, and that was the end of the trip. <laughs> Not quite 10 hours. All right. Thank well, you. guys, thank you for your time, and I, I pray that the Lord blesses your ministry royally in the years to come. Thank you, sir. Listen to Jerusalem Chamber, guys. For more information about the seminary, please visit www.gpts.edu.